0: All right. Hello and welcome everyone to another chat and learn here with Power to Fly. My name is Mariella Marie and as always super excited to roll into this next hour. Um, I know that you all are going to have a lot of questions. I see some folks are warming up and writing in the chat box and maybe some of you will turn your cameras on soon, but um, I just want to go over some quick housekeeping rules so that we all feel comfortable and confident in this next hour. Uh, I like to start by saying lots of crazy things going on in the world. It seems like the world's on fire. Everything's topsy-turvy. You could be doing anything else, but you're deciding to be with us so Let's participate. Let's really maximize this time that we have together. I know that some of you are probably multitasking as we speak, but I'm gonna challenge you to be present and multitask a little later, or maybe you know certain times throughout the chat if you need to, um, just so that we can have your presence. And if you wanna chime in with any tips and tricks that you find helpful, or you know you wanna give some resources or just ask a question, um, you can be present and chime in You know when that time allows. Um, so turn your cameras if you feel called to do so, come off mute when you want. I've muted everyone upon entrance just to avoid any background noise, but again, I can't stress, would love for you to hop off mute whenever you feel called to do so. Um, if you do come off mute, you will show up in our live recording as this is being recorded. Again, going back to the multitasking thing, um, I would invite you to be present with us so that you can uh, ask questions and then later you can rewatch this video and you can take notes vigorously there and, and multitask um, to your leisure there. Um, the last thing, well, I'll say a couple of things before the last thing. Um, I would love for you all to write in the chat box So if anyone has any sensitive information and you prefer to be held anonymous, you can find me in the chat box under Mariella Marie. You can write to me privately and I will keep your question or your reflection private uh, and flag that to our guest speaker. Um, and then now the last thing that I'll say is we'd love for you to follow us on socials uh, and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can keep up with all the great chats that I have the pleasure. I don't have the pleasure of, of moderating all of them but a good chunk of them and it feeds my mind and I get to talk with beautiful folks like. The, the person I'm going to introduce in just a few moments. Um, but before I pass the mic to our guest speaker, um, I just want to introduce myself for those of you who have not joined a chat and learn where I've moderated. Um, so again, my name is Mariella Marie. Super, super obsessed with speaking about emotional intelligence and the importance of emotional intelligence, especially in the workplace, and especially in these unprecedented times when we can really you know, develop our emotional intelligence and create, innovate, you know share, create real community and things like that. So I'll, I might bring some of our reflections uh, to the emotional emotional intelligence sphere. Feel free to philosophize with me or bring some data if you want. Um, and then I'll invite folks as well to, to support the, the current project that I'm working on that is called the Positive Force Team. Um, would love for you all to go to the positiveforce sign up for our newsletter, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. And I'm happy to chat with you there. All right. So without further ado, I'm going to pass the mic to our guest speaker, Samaya. Let us know a little bit about yourself, how you came to learn about Power to Fly and what you're excited to share with us today, Samaya.
1: Uh, thank you so much for having me and I got to know power to fly through a job board that my partner Christina and I created. Uh, so to give you some background, my partner Christina and I run a program called ID8 Labs and our goal is to make UI UX design or digital design accessible to all, especially women, minorities, immigrants, people of color. and. Both of us have worked in the UI UX world for over five years now at startups, at agencies, consulting firms, in-house at large corporations. And we still don't see too much diversity. There's still not many people who look like us and we'd like to change that. And so six months ago, we started this program and we were thinking of ways that we could have helped pivot into this career or ways we could help others pivot into this career. And we did it on our own and we failed and fell on our face thousands of times as we were pivoting. So this course was there to make sure that other people didn't make the same mistakes that we were making. Uh, and that's how ID8 Labs was born. Uh, and since then, it's grown into a really vibrant international community of over 3,000 designers on our Slack channel. Uh, and we're you know actively recruiting for our fall cohort. Uh, and we have 11 amazing students that are currently graduating and are just about to pivot into a career in UI UX design. So So that's me professionally, me on the emotional, spiritual side. I love, I'm a cat lady. I also have a puppy. I run a little pet project called Positive, which is a little dog Tinder app just for fun. It's picking up slowly. And I like to mentor students at Wharton's Venture Lab. I like to dance and play acoustic guitar.
0: Awesome. Thank you for highlighting the emotional intelligence side of you. Um, I love that. Uh, Music and, you know, mentorship and, you know, being creative. Um, I I find that that is something that hopefully will call for more, you know, at least virtual circles to start like this until we can be in physical spaces more and and we can inspire folks. I love what you all have created. Um, And I know that your partner couldn't be here today, but we still have her presentation here. So can you tell us a little bit more about her?
1: Yes, absolutely. So Christina is my counterpart. She's my better half. And she is currently unable to be here because uh, she's giving well about to give birth to her second, uh, you know, child Luca, who's going to be my godson. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, And you know, that's the reason she couldn't be here. But she's An actual mom, she's a really cool mom. She enjoys slow fashion, healthy cooking. You have to try some of her cooking, it's amazing. Uh, But besides that, she's also a professor at Drexel University and she's founded a nonprofit organization, the Luca Oro Scholarship to help folks in Ukraine uh, achieve uh, education. Uh, So she's amazing. She's worked in large corporations in UIUX for over four years and we've known each other for a very long time.
0: Awesome, awesome. So before we get started with the questions, can you let us know how we can connect with you both uh, in your projects offline, Once, or I say offline, but I mean after this conversation, um, so that we can support the great work you all are doing. Um, feel free to give websites, socials, emails, whatever you want to give.
1: Sure. Yeah, you could uh, check us out at idlabs.co and uh, you can look us up on LinkedIn as well. So Christina runs the UI portion of our course. I run the UX strategy and research portion of our course, which is why we balance each other out in every way. Uh, And, you know, we'd both be happy to answer your questions respective to those roles.
0: Awesome. Great. So before we roll into these awesome uh, questions that you all have submitted previous to this chat, um, can you go over the principal themes that you'll walk us through uh, for the for the duration of the chat?
1: Sure. Yeah. So we're going to talk about, uh, you know, how to learn UI UX design and how to pivot into a career in UI UX design, uh, as well as just playing to your strengths. So discovering who you are, what you want, what are your goals, and how you can you know position yourself and reframe some of your existing experiences into a UI UX career, which is exactly what Chris and I did.
0: Awesome. All right, so I'm gonna stop presenting here, um, and just before we go into the questions, I would love to gauge our audience, our live audience now. If you all could drop in the chat box, you know anything about yourselves and your uh, as. Re- with respect to your current journey. So anything you would like our guest speaker to know, where are you? Are you currently pivoting? Are you thinking about pivoting? Um, Have you pivoted and you're like, what did I do? How can I change? How can I pivot again? Let us know where you are in your career journey. Uh, Just drop it in the chat box and I'll flag that to our guest speaker so that she can really dive in deep on on these questions you all have submitted. But let's take this first question here. Um, If this is your question and you hear it, again, drop in the chat box, come off mute. If this is not your question, still wanna hear from you. I'm gonna sound like a broken record through the chat because I really wanna hear from you all. So let's take this first question here. What type of background do you need to have to make this pivot? What entry-level skills are, UX, are most US UX companies looking for? So, really, you can
1: enter the UX field from any background. I started in mechanical engineering and then I dived into the startup world as a marketing associate and a customer success manager. And then that's how I used that um, role at the startup to pivot into a career in UX design. So, it really, you know, you can come from a variety of different backgrounds. We've noticed that a lot of graphic designers and content writers make great UI UX designers. This is, you know, graphic designers tend to have that visual. And they can always become amazing, brilliant UX designers, content writers, and you know, journalists and bloggers can become amazing UX strategists uh, because they have that ability to communicate their thoughts and communicate the problem and showcase their process. So that is really crucial to writing website copy and copy for the platform. And that's a really great skill to have as well. Or you could come from a technical side, you could be a developer, you could be a data analyst, you could be a project manager. And those skills are crucial to, you know, taking on a strategy role, you might become a great UX engineer, being able to not only design the platform, but also code up the platform. Or you might become a great product manager because you've worked with development teams before and you're able to see through the end-to-end process and manage different teams to come together to build this product. Uh, So there's a lot of different ways you can get into UI UX design. Just keep in mind that this field is really young. It's about 50 years old. It's it's a new field. so it's really a melting pot of different perspectives. And the more we can have new and interesting perspectives, the better it'll be, the more innovative the products will become. So never feel that you don't have the right beginning to get into UIUX. you, you do.
0: I love that. I love that you're encouraging folks to, you know, remember that this is a a new, um, you know, field and that we need more diverse voices and perspectives to add to that and to enhance that so thank you so much for highlighting that. Um, I would love also as folks are dropping in the chat. I love that folks are are continuing to write about their journey in the chat box. I'm going to flag that to you in just a moment, but I would love to know more about your transition so you said that before. Uh, You, you know, you held a different role. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, those last moments of, you know, what pushed you over the edge or what even sparked your interest to want to make that pivot.
1: Yeah, so my parents are very traditional immigrants. And when I went from high school to college, they said, you know, you can either become an engineer, a doctor or a lawyer, nothing else is allowed because we don't believe you're gonna be able to survive and sustain yourself through creative jobs. Uh, And I actually really wanted to be a musician. So I wanted to be a voice major, a whole other pathway. Uh, But, you know, so I did what my parents told me. I became a mechanical engineer at Carnegie Mellon which is one of the best schools for engineering Uh, but i barely made it out of the school i was you know getting c's and d's and barely passing and what i would do instead to boost my gpa was take music and writing and creative courses and that's where i first discovered human computer interaction because. I met so many talented people who were working in Disney's Imagineering group and who were doing a lot of things at the intersection of machine learning and creativity and building these beautiful interactive uh, digital products and physical products. And so that's where my interest first started. Uh, But of course, uh, I didn't know how to get in at all. And I didn't even know how to present myself professionally at that point. So it took a lot of soul searching. Uh, Nine months later, I got my first startup job. But in between those nine months, nine months, I was working on my resume. I was backpacking throughout Europe with my little sister. uh, And I was just doing a lot of things to figure out who I was and where I fit into this world. I'm naturally a person who likes a little bit of everything. And maybe you are too, because that's what attracts a lot of UX folks into UX. It's being able to use your creative side your logical methodical side uh, you know your strategic side and bring it all together in one job uh, which is why startups attracted me in the first place and so startups as a junior person a junior professional were easier to get into there's a lot less barriers to entry so I went on something called angelist and I started to DM all the founders of the companies and say hey I you know, would love to start working with you. And that's how I got my first job. Uh, And it was as a customer success manager and a marketing associate for a small education technology platform. Uh, My job was to manage the dev team and dev tickets to talk to the folks on our platform. They tended to be professors, administrators, deans and students and TAs. So it was really cool to talk to that group of users uh, and then just run marketing initiatives. So that's where I first decided, okay, I'm seeing issues with the product. I'm hearing voices about how they're using the product and what's happening with the product. Uh, But unfortunately, at that stage in my life, I couldn't pitch ideas to the founders. I didn't know how to translate those insights and what I was hearing into uh, a tangible products recommendation. Uh, But I was starting to, you know, pick up on UX and what UX is at that point.
0: So fascinating. So interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that part of your journey. And I'm sure there's so much of, you know, your, your soul searching that had to go into that, that, you know, brought you to where you are today. I mean, your energy really shines through on, you know, being comfortable and also being, you know, um, happy about the decisions that you've made, or at least the way that you have been navigating uh, these, these, these times, you know, career pivoting. And then, you know, what does it look like? You said six months ago, you all started this uh, project, so you know, doing that during the pandemic and seeing, you know, how you have what three thousand people on your, on your Slack, um, yeah. you know, it's just like it's 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 proof that when we when we know ourselves or we go into ourselves and we have this like you know, I don't know midlife quarter life end of life beginning of life crisis and then we say okay what do I what can I do um, you know to really. Uh, you said you wanted to study voice and all that, but you're essentially, you're using your voice in another way. Of course, you're not training to be an opera singer, but you're using your voice in another way to you know, communicate. And I really, I, I, I love that you're sharing your story with, with us. Um, I'm going to now share some stories from our live callers here. I'm just gonna go down the list and then, um, and then I'll ask you to reflect on, on any particular ones or in general. So Robin writes, I'm thinking about pivoting into UX, but it's very overwhelming to get started. Uh, Nader writes, thinking about and recently decided to start working towards acquiring the relevant experience and skills. Erica writes, also considering a transition into UX, currently I code, test, and deploy emails. Sudeshana writes, I'm an architect thinking about pivoting to UX UI, but I'm overwhelmed by the process and time required by the transition time. So hoping to learn about how to manage the transition with minimal disruption to my current career commitments. Awesome. Uh, Mrs. Davis writes, I shared as well, but maybe it it wasn't seen. I'm thinking of pivoting as well. Perfect. So Mrs. Davis is thinking of pivoting as well. Uh, Anya writes, I am in recruitment and thinking about UX research, but a bit afraid of making the jump. Um, Trinitia writes transitioning from a fashion design educator and I c- and I completed a boot camp through Skillcrush in UX and now working on gaining experience to land a full-time position and Graham writes attempting to pivot from an inter- from attorney role into a UX researcher role. So there you go uh, Samaya please give us your feedback on these comments and if you haven't had a chance yet to drop your comments please do um, and I will still raise that to our guest speaker's attention.
1: Wow, no, it's really great to hear where everyone's coming from. And I can completely resonate with the fact that uh, people might be feeling anxious or scared to make a transition. Uh, It does take a lot of momentum to get yourself going. Uh, But I think you should also give yourself a chance to fail and experiment and try new things. And, uh, you know, not hold yourself to such strict, you know, we always have this perception that we need to be something or we need to be a certain way because society tells us to, but I think the moment we get rid of how we think society should perceive us and we give ourselves room to explore and experiment a little bit, that's when we start to really see success and traction and make connections in a whole new field or career. So. I'm, I'm trying to maybe respond more to the emotional side of this these, these comments of the anxiety, the fear uh, of the pandemic, but just the uncertainty of living in this pandemic. So what Christina and I have really tried to actively do in changing our mindset is despite the chaos of this year and despite not, you know, the uncertainty, we're trying to look at the the silver lining, and to us, the silver lining is remote work. At this point in time, everyone's working remotely, and maybe that will change very soon with the vaccination in the U.S. But who knows? Maybe remote work will last for another six months. But we took the opportunity of working remotely to set aside some time to start Ideate Labs and set aside some time to learn new uh, skills. And I think this is such a great time to start learning and setting aside that time and achieving that work-life balance of doing a day job, but also taking time to invest in yourself and pick up new skills and then start to put them into practice. So uh, the reason I'm saying it should be okay to fail is that startups, think that, like that a lot and startups are a great way to get your foot in the door into a UI UX career. There's fewer barriers to entry and they like people who come from different backgrounds like law uh, and graphic design and HR and recruitment. You know, they, they want those types of thinkers so you can very much easily, more easily position yourself for those startup roles uh, and when you start to have that mindset of experimentation and being okay to fail uh, you're a shoe into a startup
0: i love that you're highlighting mindset and especially uh, during these crazy times because you know if we can have a more you know holistic way more rooted way of identifying with ourselves and then sharing the work and the talent and the passion that we have with others um, i think that we will Be more comfortable in this chaos instead of like uncertain and I don't know, and how do I do it? And, but the good thing is that we have voices like you, your voice, and, you know, folks who are passionate about, you know, helping people transition and build that bridge, build that, oh, your cat made a cameo, hi, (laughs) to build that bridge, um, which is like, you know, the logical side. My hope is that more people who build technology. Will be more in touch with their emotionally intelligent side, or at least try to uh, develop that, so that we aren't just creating who knows what to then go out and affect the world. You know, to be more in touch with ourselves and then put that into the work or the product and things like that. I would just love to hear you hear you speak about emotional intelligence uh, clearly because you are you are alluding to it uh, through through these responses, which I love. But what is your opinion on emotional intelligence and specifically in the workplace?
1: Oh, it, emotional intelligence is the core of design thinking, and it's. It's the core of succeeding in the work workplace. So even within UI UX, I would say half my job is to actually create a design or do the research around a design. But the other half of my job is to be uh, collaborating with other designers and other teams. So I would say the other half of my job is being a salesperson for design, selling the design process to development teams, to marketing teams, to regulatory teams who don't understand what design thinking is or what is design in the first place, UX design. How does that differ from UI design? So those are questions designers have to be able to answer on the fly. Another part of design is being an educator. So as you're bringing in and, and, and selling your designs to these other teams, you're also educating them on the process and why you're doing what you're doing. And that's what makes you a more effective designer. And especially right now, designers are have a role at the business table. They're able to use the design thinking process and how empathy is so important uh, to justify business decisions. And that's the key of combining design thinking with business strategy so to go back to your point on empathy and empathy in the workplace I think we're seeing with the pandemic that yes we're maybe with work from home we're able to get more of a work-life balance situation or we're able to be more present with our families but at the same time uh, there's a lack of empathy everyone is zoom fatigued out there's you know you're looking at screens all day and even with you know professionals it's harder to empathize with your coworkers because you don't have those water cooler moments or those moments you could have happy hours together so how do you you know c- create that empathy again in a digital workforce and maintain those connections you have with your coworkers and employees or uh, you know anyone you work with and design thinking plays such a big role because Empathy is such a buzzword. People say that they they have to be empathetic. Uh, but do we actually practice empathy? Do we actually listen to our users? Do we listen to our salespeople? Do we listen to uh, the stakeholders? And uh, a big part of user research, which is what I love about UX research, is that you take the time to listen to not only one person, but 10, 20 people, and then you synthesize that information and then come up with an insight or recommendation on how to move forward. So uh, there's a lot we do in Ideate Labs about, around empathy and empathy exercises and practicing it as opposed to just using the buzzword empathy.
0: Yes, practice what you preach, uh, especially because you're right, it's a buzzword. You know, How do we get rid of these big isms, racism, sexism, You know, sh- all these things require time and they require you know, you connecting with your emotional intelligence in my opinion I'm biased to emotional intelligence because I also studied theater and film and I come from a a space where it's like if you don't connect with your emotional intelligence then you're not doing your job (laughs) so like it's my job to learn how to connect with myself that way Um, and then so you do Practice active listening, you know, these things that could, you know, bridge the world instead of creating more walls and division. Um, and I find the digital space very interesting uh, and very fertile because it is a chance for us to build these bridges and to practice what we preach, as you're saying, and not just say, yeah, we, you know, we empathize with people but then what's happening um, on the back end or what's happening because as a result of the product being shared in the world so I, I just I love that you're that you're highlighting this this is great um, I do have another um, comment in the chat box that ends with the question so maybe you can um, answer this question um, whenever you feel like it's um, like whenever you feel like you can here so I am dealing with elder care and transitioning from academia history and sociology I'm returning to UX involved in local and national ux groups i'm wondering how to translate my old and other skills research is the way in but i have managed products and teams okay
1: okay, okay. this is a, this is a really great start i would say that you know, it would be maybe highlighting uh, some of your previous work in your portfolio. So if you've done sociology, sociology is such an amazing background to get into UX strategy and and research. I would highlight the interview questions you ask uh, as you're collecting insights and gathering data through qualitative research. Uh, That would be a great portfolio piece to showcase. Uh, And then I would also try to highlight and reposition some of your older job titles and just reframe it as a UX role. So maybe some of the sociology projects you've worked on, you could title yourself as a uh, UX uh, a researcher or a qualitative researcher or analyst, uh, anything that will help you make that transition more apparent to someone viewing your resume because for a recruiter, they're only looking at your resume for 30 seconds, less than 30 seconds, and they just need to see those buzzwords, and they're not going to dive in deeper to, to see that you actually know what you're talking about. They just want to see the, the word UX strategist somewhere, so if you can re-title some of your older positions and highlight the research you've done in those other positions, uh, that that would position you well into UX or start to position you.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Like putting, connecting the dots, because as you said, a lot of recruiters take, you know, no time to a couple seconds to figure out if they want to, you know, follow up. So I love that you're saying, make it easier, like find the connection so that they can say, oh yeah, this is worth putting to the side and giving a call. So thank you for that. All right. So let's move on to the next question here. What courses should you take to be able to make the pivot? And do you need any certifications?
1: So I would say you don't need any certifications and my truthful answer is you don't need any courses. If you are a someone who's a self-taught uh, UX designer, there's so many of them out there. Christine and I taught each other and motivated each other. So we actually met at that startup job. We were the only two women on that startup team and then we made the transition by creating portfolio pieces for ourselves and using youtube and google to help educate ourselves on how to create a design portfolio and then we just talked our way into the, sorry about my cat we just talked our way into the job and and you know kept uh, interviewing and Yes, we failed a lot of times and we fell on our face a lot of times, but we just kept going and pitching. What we did do is create a course that we hope helps uh, folks to pivot into UI UX design as a career. So if you look at ID8 Labs, our website, we provide a four month program where you learn the end to end design process. What we noticed was a lot of folks pivoting into UI UX, aren't even sure what the difference between UI and UX is, or they're not sure what type of UX job best suits their personality and their work style. So the first four two months, we focus on UX research and strategy and how it relates to the business model of your product. So you get to choose a topic of your choice and build a product around a topic that you're passionate about. And then the next half of the course focuses on actually implementing those ideas, building a design system from scratch and creating that product from scratch. And so what we're trying to teach is how to create an end-to-end process from scratch, but this also helps you build up concepts you would need to position yourself as a senior UX designer. So if you can connect the dots between UX research and business strategy and how you're monetizing the products, or if you can connect the dots from a design perspective on how you build a design system from scratch. What does a style guide look like? What are templates within your product? Then you can start to even position yourself as a senior designer. So with our course, we provide a year long access to the course because there's no way you're going to learn UX in four months. And there's no way you can come up with three to five portfolio pieces in four months. So what we do is provide one amazing portfolio piece and then give you access to the course to position yourself for other pieces. Uh, We also give you a lot of networking and mentorship opportunities uh, with startups at Wharton who really need designers. Uh, And so that's a great way to get in, get your feet wet, uh, and have a couple of projects under your belt so that you can position yourself for the first full-time job or the first gig that you would like to work in.
0: Wow. I love the support that you all offer. Is there, you don't have to answer this now, but maybe, I mean, I would love to hear if there's like a story that sticks out. Of course, you can keep the the people involved anonymous, but is there something that just sticks out that you're like, wow, I want to show people that yes, it's possible. And look at what these folks did because they participated in our course and all, all that jazz. Do you have anything that comes to mind now or do you need a second to think?
1: Yes, so we have 11 brilliant students. Two of them have started out in the nonprofit space and they actually used what they're passionate about the communities that they would like to help uh, to create these amazing products. One of the products helps uh, fill out an application for food stamps uh, and this is coming from a very personal place for one of our students uh, and he's creating the app and actually is about to implement the app so not only does he want to uh, finish the projects, but he wants to turn this into a startup and actually help folks. Uh, fill the application to get food stamps. So that we think is amazing. Uh, another one of our students is working with housing applicants, especially single moms who get into the housing applicant world and they don't ever feel empowered when they're in the housing situation, uh, You know, to do things on their own. They're, not, they're given a lot of limitations and they don't feel like their social worker is on their side. So she's trying to find a way to reframe that experience into empowerment. How did they help themselves? And how do they help others within their community so that they don't feel like they need to go to the social worker all the time? Uh, So that's another really cool project. And she's actually talking actively to nonprofits to get funding for this platform that she's designing. So we're so proud of her. Another student is more from the graphic design space and she is working on reframing grief. How do we make and normalize grief? You know, Especially now in this year, a lot of folks have lost loved ones, myself included because of COVID. And it's not normalized to to be even able to talk about it. No one is comfortable with the concept of grief. And how do we make them feel comfortable with just speaking what's going on with them, or asking for help, or how do we help manage grief in a a better manner? So that has been a really complex uh, project to tackle, especially from the research side, because, can you, if you imagine talking to folks who've just lost a loved one, that's a very challenging interview to do, and so it requires a lot of empathy, very real empathy, and a lot of tact to be able to, to go through those interviews.
0: Wow. How I mean, I applaud everyone who is bringing their fullest self to the table to be able to tackle these big issues. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing food poverty, equal housing, gentrification, crises, you know, that that uh you know instigate grief and things like that so um i know that sometimes we see technology as the superficial thing that like is entertainment or makes things easier but like when you really get to hear some of these stories that's why i thank you for highlighting some of those journeys that stick out for you um because i know that we all have things that we want to do you know some of us want to change the world by you know not just i don't know i don't know deciding One thing over the other, we want to like maybe build something uh, to then share with the world, so I love that you're offering that to your students. Um, And we've got folks in the chat box saying that that's amazing and so yes, I I love that Thank you again for sharing. Um, So we have some folks who are writing in the chat box let's try to go through some of these comments here, Um, do you see accessibility as a big need within UX?
1: Yes. Yes. Definitely. And I would say my partner Christina can actually speak much better than I can to accessibility from a UI standpoint. So she covers uh, the idea of voice design. So even text-based, you know, technologies are not enough. Imagine a mom with a kid on her shoulder, pushing a, a stroller or you know a pram. Also having to manage running a business, which is exactly what Christina is doing right now, and we we swear by voice text because all we do back and forth every day is just talk to each other on the voice text, you know, system. That's a great way for moms to multitask. And another way, this is I'm just stealing Christina's words because she's better at talking about this, uh, is imagine if uh, you know disabilities are uh, not or are temp. Like you could be designing for a temporary disability. So, for example, being pregnant, becoming a mother—that's a nine-month temporary disability where uh, you know your your body is changing, your physicality is changing. And for Christina, that was a moment where she realized, okay. I now can empathize, truly empathize, with how someone with disabilities must feel or have to walk through a space not designed for them. And so she talks about how being nine months pregnant, uh, you know, and having to climb steps versus taking a ramp, that made a big difference to her, you know, when she was pregnant with her first child. Uh, And that temporary disability moment for her really changed her mind on accessibility and the importance of accessibility uh, On my end, I've worked with uh, a startup with Parkinson's patients, so folks who have disabilities and are slowly losing their muscular capabilities, Uh, and I've gone to Inglis House here in Philadelphia, which is a home for folks with disabilities, people who can't use their fingers to type on keyboards or uh, folks who have to use their eyes and eye tracking. To write up a message, and so there's a lot of really interesting technologies for a whole spectrum of, of you know, disabilities. Um, but, but I would I would defer it to Christina. I really wish she was here to, you know, answer your question in more detail. I hope I I did justice though.
0: Yes, I understand and Robin let us know if uh, if we need to clarify a little more or maybe we can f- uh, find you after this conversation and, and continue the conversation there that would that would be nice um, we do have a comment here from um, Triicia who writes can you recommend a resume writer that specializes in UX to help folks who are transitioning and we did get some folks writing uh, some some um, some folks who are right resume writers who uh, that and it has worked for them but do you have any that you recommend as well or can you send anyone uh, send someone to a particular place?
1: So I don't have any resume writers off the top of my head. Uh, What we do with ID8Labs is we take the last two weeks of the program to help folks position themselves for UX. So we work with them on their portfolio as well as their resume. And with the resume, it's so personalized because we have to talk through each of your past experiences to reframe each of those experiences and rewrite the job description and the title that you had. Uh, So That that's what the approach we've been taking with our students. Uh, Every week we meet for a a group lecture, but we also meet one on one for an hour to talk through that personalized element. Uh, So unfortunately, I'm sorry, I don't have a, a resume writer.
0: But it's nice to hear that you continue to walk your students through the process so that, they, that you know, you don't just send them off into the wolves uh, after it, you know, you have this intentional moment to talk about the resume and to just, you know, uh, develop it a little more together. So that's that's good news as well.
1: We actually also, because we're in the industry ourselves and we're constantly learning, design is a field where you constantly have to learn. So every designer right now who's a senior designer or principal designer is learning about the new technologies coming up, voice-based systems, voice-based design, AI, Uh, AR, VR, uh, so you have to constantly be learning, which also means we're constantly applying ourselves to uh, positions and actually what I provide my students is my resume template. And I've gone through about 30 resume templates and I've A-B tested a lot of different resume templates. And actually that A-B testing has been crucial in finding the template that's led to success. So one of my templates has gotten me 15 job interviews in two weeks. And what I did was I DM'd three 300 startups to, to do that. And so part of it is DMing and being very persistent about how you communicate and how you personalize your DMs or your emails to certain jobs. And the other half of it is A-B testing. So if you have a question on what resume or what title will work better, A-B test it.
0: That's great, that's great. I, I, I'm really fascinated by your, uh, the, the uh, integrity that you have as well. It's like, let me just take my resume, change it up a little bit and see which one works better. And then your results are, are fascinating as well. You're able to get 15 callbacks uh, from sending 300 uh, direct messages, so I love that. Hopefully that gives someone encouragement to do the same. Okay, so let's move on to this next question here. I'm not a graphic designer, but I'm very interested in UX content roles, but can't find many. And when I do find them, they require a design background. Can I land a UX role without a design background?
1: Yes, you can. I did that too. I made the transition from mechanical engineer to startup customer success manager to UX researcher. Uh, But it's also about reframing your past experiences to suit the UX world and to suit recruiters looking to place UX strategists and content strategists. So uh, our job when we're writing our resume and portfolio is to make it easy for the recruiters to connect the dots, to not have to connect the dots. You should do the dot connecting and show how your past experience is so crucial to you being a successful content writer or content strategist. one of my one of our students at ID8 Labs, he used to work at Vice, and he used to create beautiful documentaries and write amazing articles and interview folks for the radio. And he's using that, uh, you know, background to position himself as a UX strategist. So it's all about how you frame your your old jobs, your your previous experiences.
0: And I love that to connect the dots first so that the other person doesn't have to connect the dots. And you can be more intentional about what you want to come back to you as well. Right. Because I know that uh, at least for for folks who come from very diverse backgrounds and maybe you have, you know, you are the Jack or the Jane of all trades. And it's like, how do I let them know that I'm good for this? You know, how do you change up some of those titles uh, or, you know, add a little more um uh, language to make the experience really shine through written, you know, when someone's looking at it for 30 seconds. So I love that you're highlighting that as well. Um, Let's move on to this next question here. What steps do you suggest for taking in UX type of tasks while you're in your current non-UX position?
1: That's a really great question. I would say the first step is to really identify a gap or problem in a current process at your job or uh, the way things are done and then to help solve the problem problem with UX principles. So that way you can have a clear portfolio piece that showcases the problem, the solution and the process you use to create those solutions. If you go on ID8 Labs website, you'll see some of our student portfolios and that's the the layout or template that we use to really highlight that they are creative problem solvers. So for for me really, the title of UX strategist or UX researcher or UX designer or product designer doesn't mean much because all of us ultimately are creatively solving problems. And the more you can showcase that, the better you're able to position yourself in the field of UI UX. So, uh, I would start by, you know, talking to as many team members from across teams to come up with an interdisciplinary solution, perhaps. And by talking to those different teams, you can highlight that research of the ability to manage different stakeholders and to talk across teams and bring teams together. And that's such a crucial skill. Uh, Another thing I would think about doing is running an ideation session with the teams because design is never done alone or in a box. So it's not you just collecting all these great insights and then designing something by yourself and then presenting it to the world. It's about um, you know, buying getting buy in for those solutions. So it's about a co creation process. And it's about inviting others to put in their thoughts and uh, you know, contribute to this idea so that everyone is on board with the idea. So the more you can do that, the more successful the implementation of your solution would be.
0: Awesome. Thank you for that. And so everyone knows we've got a little over 15 minutes left. So in just a moment, uh, I'm going to invite folks who want to hop off mute and maybe you have some questions or reflections that you'd like to ask with your voice. So be ready for that. Um, I've written here in the chat box. You can raise your emoji hand or you can hop off mute when that time comes. But I just want to let you know now so you can start to think, do I want to come off mute? Do I want to ask my question? Because we would love to hear from you. Uh, but until then, let's let's tackle this big question here. What does the UX interview process look like?
1: very good question so that would depend on what type of job you're applying to are you applying to a startup job an agency job or a corporation Uh, if it's a corporation the interview process is going to be a lot more formal you might go through multiple rounds of interviews it might start with a screener from a recruiter and they might pass you along to the hr manager of that company who would then screen you again and pass you on to the design manager you might have a 30-minute call with the design manager and then they might pass you along for a fourth interview to team members within the UIUX team and how you fit with the team if they you know they know you're capable at this point. It's more about the, the fit is you know will everyone get along uh so that's the corporate process but if it's a startup process it might be a lot more informal it might be you reaching out directly to the co-founders of the startup and having a call with each of them or all of them uh, and then just getting uh, you know a call back on yes please begin or no you know try again (laughs) um and then if you're looking to go into agency work uh that would be kind of an in between process where you might talk to a recruiter or hiring manager, you might even have to complete a design challenge. uh, And then you might be introduced to the team, or you might be placed on a client project, uh, or a contract project to sort of prove yourself and showcase your talent before you're hired full time. So there might be a trial period as well.
0: Awesome. Thank you for highlighting the different kinds of buckets that that one can drop in or apply to um, when it comes to the realm of, you know, the the startup or the corporate. Um, So before someone, let's say someone gets hired for a contract role to see, you know, how that works. Can you speak a little bit about, you know, a, the, the that trial period, what someone should expect? How can they negotiate, let's say, the trial period? And also before that trial period even happens, when someone asks for a test, or I think you used it as a design challenge, yeah. should that be paid? Should it not be paid? How does someone walk around that conversation?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, because the design challenge should be framed in a way that it's not... Uh, adding value to the company in any way, it should be a generic challenge. So think about redesigning Spotify, if that company is not Spotify (laughs) or think about, you know, A product that you use very a lot and why you use that product and redesign it. So those are more open ended questions where the company is not getting direct value out of you solving the challenge. I would be a little weary of companies who come to you with their problem and ask you to solve it for them or to redesign a part of their platform as the challenge because then they're essentially getting a little bit of free work out of you uh, and if you're okay with that, that's fine. But, and you know, maybe you, you, you can then use that as a portfolio piece uh, and you know, you get something out of it as well. But that's something to think about and be wary of. I would also be wary of the amount of time you're spending. So, a design challenge should be short and sweet, it should be no more than two to four hours long, maximum. You shouldn't be spending one to two weeks on a, a, a large challenge. And I've had to do design challenges myself. So, For uh, companies like uh, McKinsey Design or Bain & Company, those are big companies that they would want to see a challenge, especially if you're getting to the final rounds of the interview. Uh, But there's also agencies that do small design challenges. Uh, I would say when you start out in the contract role and you know it's a three month contract you should constantly be finding opportunities to extend your contract or new projects you're constantly as a freelancer scoping out what the next project is based on what the client needs and if you have that skill of scoping out okay now that this project is complete they need to be thinking about XYZ. And if you can articulate that to the agency or you can articulate that to the client, then you're more likely to be called back in a couple of months. So this is a great you know, way of being a freelancer as well as how can you always get a recurring system going with a certain client so that they're coming back to you every six months, every year.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for the for those tips and tricks. It's it's very helpful. I see I have my sister-in-law is a is she works in UX design. I don't know really what she does, but I think she creates magic kingdoms. I don't know. And I hear her saying these same things kind of like she'll she'll be looking for someone to do a test and she'll be like checking in with the CEO, like we need to make sure we pay them because blah blah blah. This is their time. Like so have that having that advocacy as well. I I mean I hear just from hearing her conversations um, seems to be important as well. So can you speak a little bit to you know how can we advocate for for each other, especially if people are working freelance or you know if people want a career pivot. How can we just make this uh, more um, more inclusive uh, and, and less of this you know competitive, linear, one sided kind of like black or white, yes or no field?
1: Yeah, I've I've noticed actually designers are very collaborative by nature because the the style of design you can't be designing individually. You have to be bringing in so many other ideas to even have a successful design in the first place. So designers by nature tend to be a little bit more social and collaborative. Uh, I've very rarely met designers who go away and hide in a black hole and create a design and they might be brilliant, but they still need that feedback. Uh, So collaboration is just the key to everything here. And and sure, yeah, advocating for other designers. I've always, uh, you know, when I first started out in user research, I was at an agency, so I was really blessed because I had other researchers, five or six other researchers who were within my team That I could shadow whenever I had non-billable hours so whenever I wasn't on my a client project of my own I was shadowing every other researcher I could find and I was coming up with my own style of doing things so that was what really helped me define my style as a user researcher especially because UX research does involve a lot of soft skills so it's very much about your interview style and how you talk to people and I can't talk to people like my design manager would because he's a completely different person. But maybe I could talk to people in a more soft-spoken way because that's more my style. And so I had to end up being authentic to my style. And the more you can find people who can teach you new skills, but also help you become authentic to yourself, that's when you're really designing create, you know, building up your confidence in the field, and you're overcoming that imposter syndrome. Uh, And find multiple mentors, because honestly, in this day and age, there's no one person who has the time and bandwidth to dedicate an hour a week to meet. So what I ended up doing was in that job, I found five different people that I would hit up each week. And so if I scheduled, you know. A call once a month which each of them I would have someone new to talk to each week and I was getting so many new perspectives and the more perspectives I got on the field of UX research the better I was able to uh, create a style that was authentic to myself.
0: I love that. I love the the authenticity piece because hopefully more folks will join teams or, you know, uh, work on their own projects and bring their full self and be as authentic as possible so that we can just, you know, break some of these paradigms that have been historically, you know, put into place, intentionally put into place to keep people out. So um, I know I'm diving deep there, but (laughs) let's be more authentic folks. Okay. So we've got about 10 minutes left um, and I would love to see if anyone wants to hop off of mute to voice their question or reflection. So I'll hold for a light pause uh to give space and time for that let's see if someone wants to take that pause and hop off of mute sometimes it works if not i have more questions i can ask or we can ask your cat who definitely wants more cameos i think your cat wants to like speak <laughs> to Finally speak about...
1: resting. she's like finally calm down she's like okay i won't be on camera it's fine
0: She's like, what are they doing in there? It's like you're taking her away from me. She's trying to knock everything over. I love when cats make cameos on on, in like the zoom fatigue is real but when cats make cameos that makes me happy. Okay, so we do have a question here from Robin. How do I start building my portfolio, especially if I don't have a design background.
1: That's a really good question. It would be, I would start by repositioning existing work that you're doing to start your portfolio. So let's say you have creative projects like photography or art and painting. I would definitely put those up as different portfolio pieces because it shows that you have a visual eye and that you have that visual know how, Uh, but then I would start to Reframe existing work that you're doing at your job, whether it's writing copy for a website or it's looking at the website and finding ways to optimize it or it's looking at uh, gaps in a process and talking to different stakeholders on different teams and then coming up with a solution that everyone agrees on that's an amazing ux project to have so that would be a good way to start to gain some projects the next thing i would do was will be to take a free course so as much as i can i like to read ux collective i like to read smashing magazine i like to go on slack channels to see the resources other people are talking about Uh, and then there's also google's free ux course in on Coursera. So that's a very great starting point. I've heard from some of my students that it's a great starting place, but you have to be self-motivated to keep going. Uh, and it doesn't teach you the details of UX. It's a great overview of UX, but if you want to dive deep, I would then consider taking a, a course, whether it's a boot camp, whether it's ID8 Labs, of course, I will be biased always about ID8 Labs courses, or maybe for you, it's grad school. Maybe it's a chance to really dive deep into a two-year program. Uh, maybe it's an MBA. So it's really on your learning style are you a self-taught, self-paced learner? Are you someone who needs that hybrid bootcamp course, online course approach, or are you someone who needs to go to grad school and and really dedicate the time to it? Uh, it's really, you know, what are you what what's most meaningful to you at the end of the day?
0: again, going back to the you piece, right? Being authentic to yourself, what works for you? How can it not just be like, you know, you're selling your soul to be able to pivot careers and, you know, giving yourself that, that leeway uh, and grace period as well by being authentic, saying what you need, hopefully you get that, or, you know, you figure out ways to to navigate that and and test, right? And experiment. As you said, you sent DMs to 300 folks with different resumes, and then you landed some things, and then you started this great project. So your journey definitely uh, has been an inspiration to hear for me. And I hope, that people are able to uh, be inspired uh, by by your story as well, and maybe you know join uh, a course or two that you have um, at uh, at your project. So, we have about six minutes left. Um, there is one question here that I would love for you to touch on. You you have been speaking about this, but this is a very specific question of that speaks to ageism, um, and uh, that you know comes up often in the workspace and folks trying to navigate that. So this question reads, can you get into UX in your late 30s after a career in marketing and graphic design, or is it realistically too late to start?
1: It is never too late to start. Never, ever. And actually one of our students is so talented. She's had over 10, 15 years of experience in graphic design. She's also had I think two to three years of experience in quality assurance engineering. So she's worked with dev teams to test digital products. And because she's sitting at that beautiful intersection of graphic design and QA, she's a brilliant UX designer. So her project has been amazing. It's a holistic health app for women. That's what she created within ID8 Labs. And you know, she hands down is so ready to not only position herself as a UX designer, but to position herself as a senior UX designer. Because she's so professional. She's held the title of art director in her previous roles. She knows how to manage teams. She has a lot of empathy and a lot of emotional intelligence. And that's the kind of Skill You need ultimately to get you to the senior level role. So I would say maybe you should be considering a senior UX designer role. Once you've, you know, taken a couple of courses and, and feel confident that you can make the pivot.
0: Yes, way to flip the script there. It's like, no, it's not only that you that you should apply, you should look for these, you know, higher higher roles. So I I really appreciate that as well because I don't think that most people speak that, you know, speak that authentically about, you know, it's like maybe you should take some more courses or maybe you should, you know, think about something else. It's like, no, you can do it and actually maybe you can get that senior position.
1: (laughs) I think it's so it's it's sad because we always place ourselves in a box and we tell ourselves we can't do something and you know. For me the reason i started my company when i was in grad school i always thought okay maybe after grad school i'll become a a ux manager or i'll become a leader in a ux team and then i met a, a mentor who met with me every week over a summer for two hours and she's like why aren't you starting your own company like what's what's wrong with you i see that you can do it why aren't you doing it and it took me hearing that so many times and having her as a mentor to really push me into some an unknown world where I had never considered that I could be successful. So sometimes it's about meeting that one mentor who will push you and, and tell you, don't, don't put yourself in that box. She broke me out of my box. So I think we try and do that for all of our students. Never put yourself in a box.
0: I love that. So you're speaking uh, a little bit about imposter syndrome. I just I would love for you to rant a little bit more about imposter syndrome, because especially as folks are career pivoting, and especially as they're like, okay, how do I figure out how to put the pieces of the puzzle together to connect the dots and then share to the you know, hiring manager? Um, And of course, you feel. First, I've heard people that say I don't believe in imposter syndrome, so I shouldn't say that we all believe in imposter syndrome. So First, do you believe in imposter syndrome? I guess is my first question. And then two, what do you have to say about imposter syndrome and how can people navigate those waters?
1: I definitely believe in imposter syndrome. And yes, it's very real to me. I say I actually think there's a good side to imposter syndrome. It's what keeps me honest. And it's what tells me it's that thing at the back of my head that tells me I don't know enough so that I'm constantly learning. And I'm a lifelong learner. So even now when Christina and I have held the title of senior UX designer, we still feel a little bit of imposter syndrome because now we're teaching a course we're responsible for educating our students, which means we definitely has to keep learning and be on top of the newest trends all the time and we hold ourselves accountable to doing that because of our imposter syndrome i would say imposter syndrome is bad when it puts you in a box and when it limits you to you know reach for opportunities so imposter syndrome is is not helping you or hindering you when you're telling yourself oh maybe i cannot apply to that job or maybe i'm not fit for this role at a company or maybe I cannot do something. The moment imposter syndrome is getting you to do that, that's when it's bad and you need to break out of it and, and say, no, I can, you know, it, it could just be an experiment. And the way I've broken out of my imposter syndrome is through amazing mentors, but also through just experimentation and being completely okay to fail, like fall on my face. So. Recently, my newest resume uh, experiment has been titling myself as design director and sending it out to companies. And inside, internally, I'm like, oh, I'm not a, a design director. There's no way I could be a design director. But then someone actually called me back for an interview and they're like, oh, you know, it sounds like you would be a great design director. You're a little low on experience, but you know, it seems like you could, that, that's totally fine. And so now they're hiring me or considering me for my potential as opposed to who I am in this moment. And the more you can find people who would hire you for your potential rather than looking at what you don't have, that's those are the people to go for because You you can tell when you're on the interview and people are looking at what you lack, then you know that for the rest of the job and for the rest of your time on that role, they're constantly going to look at what you lack and they're not looking at your strengths. So look for the managers who play to your strengths because you'll be happier at the end of the day.
0: Yes, I was just going to ask for some food for thought, but I think that you definitely gave us a, a well-rounded food for thought to not shortchange ourselves, uh, to make sure that we use any kind of imposter syndrome uh, to um, lead us into this awareness that we are going to be learning forever and to be able and willing to experiment. I love the way that you that you show this, that you're experimenting with your resume or you're experimenting with creating you know, projects and 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 teaching and things like that. So thank you so much. We are at our time right now, and I see we do have more questions coming in the chat box. So how can folks find you when we finish this conversation? And I would encourage folks, if you still have questions, um, to reach out to Samea on, you know, however she's going to connect. Ah, perfect. She's got her, her website here. Um, I'm not sure if you want to share any socials or things like that, but now would be the time. Let us know how we can connect with you when we finish this conversation. And again, thank you so much for dropping so much knowledge and being so uh, encouraging on this call.
1: Yeah, no worries. You can find us at idlabs.co. If you click on Slack, the link, you can join our community. We, Chris and I always take the time to respond to anyone with questions on Slack uh, and LinkedIn as well. Uh, those are in the bio on our website. So we're really hoping we can see you at Slack, on Slack because that's, that's how I'm always on Slack.
0: Slack is popping for you. <laughs> Great. Okay. so thank you, everyone, for joining. I know we went a little over time, but uh, I really appreciate everyone's uh, engagement. Um thank you, Sameya, for your encouragement, for you know the 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 food for thought that you left us with to ponder on. um, and I hope that everyone can go and support the great work that she's doing. I will, for sure. I've been inspired. Uh, and good luck to everyone who's applying. You can do it. Bring your best self, develop your emotional intelligence and reach out to us that we are here for you. We're here to, you know, bounce ideas off of each other and and, you know, do some low-key mentorship, you know? I think that's okay to say too. (laughs) All right. All right. So we'll see you all later. Bye.